Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Friday, March 31st. Welcome back to the Ion College Basketball Podcast. I got Matt Nolanda here with me. He's in Phoenix. I'm in Phoenix. We're recording this late on Friday night, at least late on the East Coast, I imagine. Let me look at the clock. It's 10 p.m. on the East Coast right now. And the reason we're just now doing this is because uh, we've both been working all day long. I was at the uh, stadium, uh, University of Phoenix Stadium, uh, since very early this morning. We had a four-hour uh, Final Four practice show. And then uh, another hit and another hit and another hit, another 30-minute show. So I'm just now getting settled in back at the hotel. Norlander is just now getting uh, ready to... Uh, go out on the town and, and handle dinner. Uh, you were inside the stadium today. What did you see? Are you excited about the national semifinals? I am, but before we get into that, I want to set a few. Uh, we're going to make this a quickie podcast. I want to get a few things out there before I get into what I saw. One, uh, there is no surprise here. Uh, we have not been able to uh, get our agents to track down one Mr. Downey. I am of the belief that Mr. Downey is indeed in Venezuela right now. <laughs> I would love to be incorrect about this. I would love if for some reason he was able to attend Saturday night semifinal. But um, from all accounts that I can gather, he is in Venezuela. Now, maybe at the last second he was able to or is able to make travel arrangements to get to see his alma mater play in Phoenix. But as far as I can tell, uh, he is not in in our continent so uh, you and I basically have talked and said, listen, if we're going to do this, let's let's just let the carrot dangle. And it, we will eventually one day have Devin Downey on this podcast. But I would prefer, if at all humanly possible, to have that be an in-person sit down. Perhaps, perhaps we should go to Venezuela. You consider I that? Have had, I, had a, I had a few people recommend this to me today. I know. I, I figure you and I could mess around and end up in Venezuela. That's not out of the question. I've ended, up, I've, I've ended up in weirder places than Venezuela, Norlander. I know. Number two... I feel like I don't even know you anymore. I went out to the court today to find you. I couldn't find you. I don't know where you were. I was looking all around. I haven't even seen Parrish yet. I presume at some point on Saturday we're going to see each other. But I miss you, and it just does not feel the same. You're kind of operating on your own schedule. You're not even in the same hotel. Man, I remember when you used to be fun. What happened to you? Well, I just got busy. Um, I I got in yesterday, and we had a meeting, and then I had a dinner to go to. Went to the dinner, and then we didn't get through a dinner till like eleven forty-five. And we had a like a seven thirty a.m. Uh, talent call to the lobby this morning. So like, I wasn't going out late last night. So I crashed, got up this morning, and then I've been gone all day. And now we've got like a seven a.m. talent call tomorrow morning. So check this out. I will now have been at the Final Four for two straight nights, parties everywhere, and I don't believe I'm going anywhere even tonight. When I finish this podcast, uh, take take a shower because I've been outside all day on an outside court, on an outside set just outside the stadium. I stink a little bit. And then uh, probably just go down to the resort uh, bar here with a couple of uh, people who work with us. And grab a drink and and then like call tonight. Like I uh, I used to be fun. That's true. But now I have I have too many too many responsibilities to be fun. It seems like maybe maybe when do you get out after the semifinals? Like how late you think you're gonna be on set Pacific time? I think we're on. I think we're on for an hour after the second. Uh, maybe ninety minutes. I think we do ninety minutes after the final. Uh, after the final score of the second game becomes official tomorrow night. So like tomorrow night's another late night. No, we got to make something happen here. Um, well, the other thing is this right, resort is like legit 30. It's like 45 minutes from the stadium, 30 minutes from downtown Phoenix. So like even if I wanted to go out, it's like you got to commit to doing 30 minutes in a car one way and 30 minutes on a car the way back. 
it just doesn't seem worth it. I mean, I love you and and all of the people I'm certain you're going to be with later tonight. But uh, when you have to weigh the pros and cons, and one of the cons is that you got to be up at six o'clock tomorrow morning, and another con is that it take me thirty minutes to come find you, and then another thirty minutes to get back here. Eventually, I'm just going to kick it right here. I think my my resort's nice, though. You would like it. I'm sure that I would. Uh, the other element that I want to bring up this podcast before we look at the games, and make some predictions, is. We're going to have a mini reunion on this podcast. I would have to believe I'm recording this from my hotel room. I am sharing my hotel room with one Jeffrey Borzello. Oh, wow. And, and he is due to return from he is uh, he is sitting at Twin Peaks right now. And um, <laughs> he, will be, he will be returning to change into some new clothes. And I will have to change as well. So at some point, I anticipate that he will have a, a cameo here. And he will be just interjecting a few thoughts. He has no idea this is going to happen, by the way. I'm going to throw this to him. Uh, completely unprepared. We'll see if he's able to handle it. As for the games, GP, or as what I saw today, I went out real quickly, checked out the uh, environment. Uh, immediate thought, this feels like the... Now, we have these in, in a dome every year. There's something weird about the spacing in the stadium. Uh, it feels... The court feels smaller than it even normally does. It feels like the stands are back even further than they normally are. There are press areas on each end zone, so to speak. Those feel even pushed back further than normal. Seems a little bit weird. Um, obviously, the Final Four's never been in this venue. That kind of stood out to me. Maybe it's just because, I don't know, my perception's off. But did you feel as though the setup with this just kind of feels like the stuff around the court is maybe a little more removed or set back than normal, or am I off on that? No, I, I noticed it as well. I was, uh, for our four-hour show, like I was on an outside set, so I was literally outside of the stadium all day long, except for early this morning uh, when I was there for the Infinity USA Hardwood Heroes game. And I, the first thing I noticed when I walked in and just sort of look around, it's always a weird sight walking into a stadium of that size and seeing a basketball court. Because it's nothing, you know, we're, we're talking about 65,000 seats as opposed to, you know, a normal basketball arena is going to be about 16, 17, 18,000. Um, but I've seen, I've seen basketball courts in stadiums before, like literally every Final Four. And this one does feel a little, like, just bigger. Like, like things are, like, if you're sitting far away, you're going to be really, really, really far away. Now, you always are, but I feel like, and I haven't looked this up, I've, I, I bet you you could research it and figure it out. It feels like the the stadium goes out more than it goes up. Yeah, like it goes yeah. out more than it goes up, and that makes it. Uh, you, if you've got one of the bad seats, you're going to be really, really detached from things. Yeah, I'm interested also to see um, in terms of attendance and and fans that show up. Obviously, Carolina, North Carolina, I think will show up the most, and then I actually think South Carolina will be a somewhat respectable second, then Oregon, then Gonzaga. Uh, I do wonder if the building will be filled on Saturday. And then if we get a situation where it's Gonzaga, Oregon, there's just no way that they're going to fill up the building on Monday night. I can't see that happening. Um, as for the week so far, GP, um, I mean, I'll briefly speak about what I've written about. I guess you can read any of this on CBSSports.com. Got a little bit of blowback for what I wrote about Dana Altman in Oregon. Um, he had a press conference on Thursday, and I had asked him if he had any regrets over the way that he had handled uh, the timeline of events and things that he knew or didn't know in regard to the three players that were eventually booted off the roster and banned from campus for alleged sexual assault. Those players were never charged with anything, citing a, basically a sufficient lack of evidence, among other things. Uh, Altman said that he did not. He was very short in his answers, and 
you know, I just felt an obligation to at least address this um, because to me, this will forever be a part of Dana Altman's legacy as a coach. I, uh, you know, our buddy Rob Doster wrote that he deserved to be fired three years ago and should even be here. I stopped short of that, but it was disheartening to see Altman basically not even walk anything back even a little bit. Uh, didn't address now, granted, I didn't open my question up for him to address the alleged victim in this case, but, um, it, the tone of Altman reminded me a lot of how he spoke when he finally spoke with reporters, uh, in the spring of 2014, um, Oregon fans weren't happy with this. Others thought the, the light needed to be shined. Others said, why are you writing about this? What about North Carolina having great issues and all this stuff? And, um, so anyway, I, that was one thing I decided to write about. I know you haven't had time really to read anything. Um, no, I, 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 I read that column and um, I'm glad you wrote it because somebody needed to. Because I remember like as that was happening, you go back and Google my name and Dana Altman and that situation. I came down pretty hard on him as, as well uh, because th- that was mishandled undeniably. Like, and, and it also defies common sense. Like I, I believe Dana's and please, if I'm wrong, correct me. Uh, because you've you've went back and read everything about this, whereas I, I I really just the only thing I've read about it recently is your column. But if I remember correctly, Dana knew that some of his players were accused of something very serious, but he swears that he didn't know what it was. I, and I, right. I I talked to every coach in America about not every I'm, I'm exaggerating. Let me every coach in America that I talked to about that said there's no scenario under which you think three of your be- three players um, have been accused of something serious in advance of an NCAA tournament and you don't ask the follow-up question, what is it? Like, even if it, even if it means gathering your players in a locker room and saying, Hey, I know three of you are in trouble. I will find out what it is. Like, like I, I, you, if you don't want to out yourself in front of your teammates, that's fine. But text me if you're one of the people we need to talk. And I know that, uh, you know, the local police said, don't do anything. But again, it, it defies logic you know, when you hear college basketball coaches so um, regularly talk about family, 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 these players are like my family, these players are like my sons, I, I think this is actually the analogy I used uh, when I wrote the column. Like, okay, I have sons, I have three sons. Uh, if the cops came to me and said, hey, Mr. Parrish, uh, two of your sons have done something really, really bad, but we're not going to tell you what it is and we don't want you to try to find out, I would say, thank you, officer. I'd close the door, and I'd call my three sons into the living room. And I'd say, okay, what's going on? What happened? That's a completely natural reaction. And so when Dana says that's not the way he reacted, and, and, and so the, the longer version of that is, so I didn't know what they were accused of, so I didn't know not to hold them out of an NCAA tournament, uh, I, I just that has never seemed true to me or believable to me i'm not calling right. i'm not calling him a liar i'm just saying i don't believe that story yeah i talked i went to one of these events that we go to and i uh just i was talking with a number of coaches uh who had asked like what did you write today and i had mentioned this and we kind of briefly went back over this and i, I straight up asked them like if this same thing happened or anytime you have any one of your guys get in trouble you have to know what happened right and unequivocally all of them said yes right so anyway, like it does I'm not I didn't write it because I think it should be like the forefront of the story. I just they got here and this is the one. You know what? You get a lot of credit for getting to a final four and all that. It just it felt like this should be addressed and you're absolutely right. At either Altman chose not to know, which is bad, or he's lying about it, which is just as bad. Um also wrote about uh I wrote on Friday about Shemek Karnowski, so real quick on this because 
I didn't have all these details, and Tommy Lloyd was terrific, the, the Gonzaga assistant, you know, just providing more details. I, I think some people might be aware that Shemek Karnowski, who's the big bearded dude for Gonzaga, like he's the one character, at least visually, that people would identify with because how can you not love this dude he's massive he's got a huge beard and he's a really good passer he's been around Gonzaga for a long time but he he went out last year and it was back surgery but it was way worse than that um had developed a staph infection in his back spread down to his leg he had a massive like pus abscess and it got really serious really fast he he wasn't getting out of bed um he told me today that he wasn't he didn't sink into depression but Mark Few told me that he was worried that that could be a really uh, a very real thing that might happen. So I don't think people quite realize just how bad of a situation Shemek Karnowski, who's this fun-loving, cool dude, was in. And now he was able to, in, in many ways, the team and everyone around him was surprised by his progress. He went from 310 pounds to like 238 pounds in the course of basically five weeks. And a lot of that was stress, not moving, not eating, couldn't do daily activities. And the fact that he's not only just been back on the floor, but been productive. And to me, and I was talking with Tommy about this, I don't think Gonzaga would have made the final four this year if he wasn't available, because if he wasn't on the roster, I have doubts that they would have lost only one game. And if that would have happened, they wouldn't have been a one seed. And I just, I'm not convinced that Gonzaga would have broken through without him. So he's back. It's a really cool story. Real quick, GP, I'm just going to segue with this, with the, with the preview kind of stuff, since Gonzaga, South Carolina is the first game. I'm a little concerned that both of these games on Saturday night are not going to be close in the final five minutes. Uh, I feel Gonzaga is going to win by a seven to ten point buffer, and it's going to be just keeping them at arm's length going uh, down the rest of the way. Talked with a number of coaches on both of these teams, on all four of these teams. I have a, I have a scouting piece up if you want to bring up the CBS Sports app or check CBSSports.com. And just what to expect. If these teams are going to lose, how are they going to lose? And with Gonzaga, it was hard to get coaches to kind of give me their weaknesses. One one thing coach had said, listen, they're not super athletic, but they're not not athletic either. They're so well balanced. They do so much with South Carolina. They're absolutely going to need Thornwell to play really, really, really well again. And he'll need a lot of help. Um, if Gonzaga, for whatever reason, finds itself being out physical in a massive way by South Carolina, that's the opportunity that the Gamecocks are going to have to win the game. I certainly give them a very good chance. My ultimate prediction for the first game on Saturday Gonzaga to the tune of say I don't know 78 71 something like that I would like it to be better I just or closer I'm not convinced that it will be I just there's I just I like Gonzaga's personnel too much in the size they have in the front court I've got Gonzaga winning and covering the the spread as well something like you know 70 61 70 62 makes sense to me um people focus so much on South Carolina's defense like I've heard multiple people say this like when they're explaining how South Carolina got to the Final Four, they say, well, man, they really guard you. That's not how South Carolina got to the Final Four because they've been really guarding people all year long. The way they got to the Final Four is they started playing out of character uh, on the offensive end of the court. Just guarding people the way they've guarded people all year with an offense that rates outside of the top 100 in offensive efficiency wasn't going to get them to the Final Four. The defense has been there. The defense was there when they were, not to this extent, but was there when they were going 3-6 and six in their final nine games before the instant play tournament. What has gotten South Carolina to this point is a, a team that's averaging 82 points in uh, the NCAA tournament, a team that has been efficient offensively in the NCAA tournament. So the question becomes, can they keep that up? And maybe, but it is worth pointing out, where did this momentum get started against a Duke team that couldn't guard people all year long, right? Uh, they were executing offensively against teams that, uh, at least Duke, and that's the biggest win of this tournament for them, uh, that aren't great defensively. Now they're playing uh, the team with the uh, best defensive efficiency rating 
in America. And so the, the way I see this going down is that Nigel Williams Goss finally gets back to normal. He hasn't played well in this tournament. Uh, I think ultimately on this stage, if you're going to advance, you need your stars to be stars. Um, I think he can be a star here. And Gonzaga is good enough offensively to score on South Carolina enough, whereas I think South Carolina could get suffocated a little bit by Gonzaga's defense. And I think Gonzaga wins and covers, although it is worth noting that South Carolina has already beaten Duke. If you can beat Duke, um, you, can be, sure. you can beat Gonzaga. So there's nothing out of character here. Um, with the South Carolina team getting an upset. They've already done that consistently in this tournament. And if I were Frank Martin, that would be my message to my team in the locker room. Hey, we, we've been underdogs before. If we win this game, it won't be as crazy as the game we won, you know, uh, in South Carolina against Duke. So let's go try to win this one. Um, but, yeah, I think you and I are on the same page here. Gonzaga wins. Gonzaga covers. Uh, the second semifinal, um, North Carolina-Oregon. This one I'm less sure of. I'm picking North Carolina. Uh, I think this is where the absence of Chris Boucher shows up because Carolina is so big up front, so good up front, best offensive rebounding team in America. They they grab 42% of their own shots. That means when they miss, it's not a big deal because they, they got a good chance to grab in it again. Um, but I'll say the same thing about Oregon that I said about South Carolina. If you're Dana Altman, you look at your team and you say, we're, we're underdogs, sure. Um, they're the one seed, we're not. But we've already beaten Kansas and Kansas City. That's way crazier. Dominating Kansas and Kansas City is way crazier than beating North Carolina and Phoenix. Let's go beat North Carolina and Phoenix. I will take the Tar Heels, but if if Oregon wins it, it won't be the craziest thing that I've ever seen. Yeah, I actually have Oregon winning this, and by I, I, here's why I have Oregon winning it. Um, I expect a huge game out of Dylan Brooks, and I expect Tyler Dorsey, while not to shoot 60% from three-point range, <clears throat> I think he's still will be relatively effective. And while you're not going to get a ton from Jordan Bell down low, I do like Oregon's personnel. Now, I've had a few coaches say, listen, Carolina, with the way that they run their stuff, um, they should they should be able to handle Oregon overall. And, and Carolina, obviously, is the right take here. Just, you know, I don't know, just just a feeling that Oregon's going to come out, hit, hit its shots, have a lot of confidence, and might even be feeding off the fact that like South Carolina is getting all the attention in terms of the team that people didn't expect to be here that's here. Oregon's not getting nearly as much in that regard. Um, I, I would love this game to be close, and I think it's got a, a solid shot, and I could be way off. I mean, Carolina could win this game by 15. That's certainly on the board. But give me Oregon in a way where it can it, it wants to run with Carolina and will I'll say Oregon you know 89 81 89 82 something like that um it would be great to get Carolina versus Gonzaga in the final that's the most desired and we talked about that on the previous podcast uh for my own selfish reasons an all Pacific Northwest final would just be kind of cool um and I think that game has a lot of potential to be very fun so we'll 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 split on that we we don't quite agree um but I think of the two, that one is definitely has the much greater chance of being the better game. If you told me to bet the money line, I'd probably take Carolina. You told me to take points, I would probably take Oregon plus the points. I do think it'll be a close game. I do think Oregon can win, but um, I will take Carolina, and, and that would give us, if it goes the way I think it'll go and the way oddsmakers think it'll go, that would give us uh, Gonzaga and North Carolina on Monday night, which would be the best possible case at this point for CBS like, listen, I, I we'll we'll get down with any of these championship games because we're college basketball writers and fans, and uh, we we know the coaches involved and the players involved. But from a television perspective, 
Oregon, South Carolina is a killer. You need North Carolina and Gonzaga, and I do think we're ultimately going to get North Carolina and Gonzaga. It seems like we're not going to have a Jeff Borzello appearance on this podcast, Matt Norlander. Well, yeah, you have you have uh, getting it here. You're, you're canceling it sooner than expected, which is fine. I was really hoping Borzella would pop in, and I don't know if he'll have. I don't know when he flies back because he's not here for the title game. I know he leaves Sunday, so depending on when we record the next podcast, because we got to figure out more schedule stuff. Um, for the let the record show that Sam Vecini texted me by the way and said, "Hey, I'm here. What room are you in?" And I said. Uh, well, I said the room that I'm in. I'm not going to obviously say it on the podcast because there's no shot in hell that I'm having people know the room that I'm in. I can get calls at three in the morning. Anyway, I said I couldn't open the door. So here's another example of Sam Vecini wanting to speak on this podcast and us saying uh, that's not going to happen and shutting him out once again. So he's just like, I think he's in a lobby right now. Anyway, shout out to Sam Vecini and shout out to Devin Downey without a doubt. But I was really looking forward to a Borzello appearance. I guess it can't happen. Why are you cutting this off like six minutes early? What do you you got to go to a dinner now too? What's no, going on? No, I'll be com- let's just be completely transparent. You're the one that has to go to a dinner. I've got to go on with uh, Scott Farrell at ten twenty Eastern, which is like gotcha. which is three minutes from now. Then I've got an ESPN radio hit um, with my man Freddie Coleman immediately after that, and so. Uh, I hate that this podcast is only going to be like 22, 23 minutes because there is a lot to talk about. The truth is, uh, this was literally the only window today that we had to do this. And so um, shout out to Devin Downey, shout out to Chester, South Carolina, shout out to Terry Teagle. And I promise you on Sunday we will do a more extensive uh, podcast with more ridiculous shout outs. And we will preview at that point the national championship game between uh, whatever two teams happen to make it there. Deal? Is that okay, Deal? That's that's a deal. I'm going to tell Borzello we missed out. We'll see if he even gives a crap about all that. But, uh, yeah, we'll we'll chat Sunday at some point, or at the very least, I don't know. We'll figure this out. We will have a thorough recap of the of the semis and then a nice preview of the, of the final, maybe a good story or two, and maybe at that point I'll have seen you in person, but there are no guarantees. Fingers crossed. Remember, you can subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast on iTunes. That is the best way to get the latest episodes as quickly as possible. So please do that. Thank you all for listening. We will talk to you again on Sunday after our national championship game is set. Till then, take care.